And good evening, brethren. Welcome to the eighth installment of the series entitled Elders, Preachers, Deacons, and Saints. We spent the first six weeks talking about elders and their wives. We spent last week and we will spend this week talking about deacons. As today we look at the role, or continue rather to look at the role and work of deacons. Part two, as was previously stated, this lesson was actually developed by a brother in Christ from Edmond, Oklahoma Church of Christ. His name is uh, Mike Mazzalongo. Would you join me in prayer, please? Our blessed, our loving Heavenly Father, we love you so very much, Father, and we thank you each and every day for the blessings that you pour upon us. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the knowledge that we can glean from your word, Father. If we would just simply take the time to study it, to meditate on it, and put it into our lives as we live each day. Heavenly Father, it is a wonderful thing to know that we have the opportunity to show those we come in contact with who you really are by how we allow you to control our lives. And Father, we pray that as we do this each and every day, Father, that whatever door of opportunity that you open for us, Father, that we will seize it and we will make the most of it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for blessing us. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. In this lesson, we review the role Deacons play in the church, but not only that, we are going to examine 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13, because when we look at that text there, what we find is this, it gives us some of the qualifications necessary to be considered for the role of deacon. In the previous lesson, it was stated that in the New Testament society, deacons were table attendants. They were messengers. We have to think of it this way, though. They were willing servants as opposed to being bond slaves, as opposed to being boy slaves or, or subordinate officials. The writer of the New Testament chose this word deacon to describe the role of a particular servant of the church. And what we will find is that the description and qualifications for this role is limited to three places in the Bible. And we will look at two of those places tonight because the two that we will look at, we have been able to put together the profile of the man who would serve as a deacon. But not only that, the work that this individual would have to accomplish as a deacon. So three things we found out. Number one. They were men who were selected by the congregation from among themselves. They were chosen primarily because of their spiritual spiritual maturity and skill in various areas of work. For instance, the men we have chosen here, like a Josh and a, and a Russ, uh, a Scott, a Jesse, a Pat, um, a Bob Huffman, 
All of those individuals was chosen for a reason. I forgot Rob Bumgard. All those individuals chosen for a reason because they possessed a skill and a talent that the congregation needed for the work that was required here. In other words, they were approved by the leaders, they were given charge over their work, and once confirmed by the apostles, what did they do? They were responsible for their own particular work or task. They were in charge of the task, making sure that everything's necessary with it was being carried out. As deacons, they held no authority as a group. They were chosen from the church. They were chosen by the church in order to serve the church. And they served that church in some way, but they were not responsible for the direction that that church was going in. Now, with that said, it's fair to understand that you can have many deacons doing small tasks, so long as they were qualified, so long as they are appointed, and so long as there is a job for them to do. We never want to find ourselves in a situation where we have a deacon just sitting over there for any period of time waiting for a task to be assigned to them. In this lesson, we will examine the final passage of Scripture regarding deacons. And that passage, of course, is 1 Timothy 8, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. But before we work our way up there, let's, let's back up a little bit. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. When we look at that text, and this is when we first see the appointment of deacons, when we look at that text, what it does for us is this. It reveals the work and the spiritual maturity of the servants of the church and how they were selected into that role. When we turn our attention to Philippians 1 at verse 1, what we have confirmed there is this. It confirms the fact that they were recognized as having a specific role within the church apart from the elders, apart from the preachers. At 1 Timothy 3 verses 8 through 13, what we find is this. It gives us some insight as to the basic qualifications necessary to be considered for this role as well as their standing in the body of Christ and how they were chosen. So before we get to verse 8, what I want to do is take us back to verse 1. Uh, we started out this series, we, we looked at uh, 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 7 as we were looking for the role and quali- the qualifications of an elder. So let's go back there to 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. And the Bible there reads... It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires, that is, reaches for, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work that he desires to do. It is a fine work that he wants. So we see an elder, someone who is reaching for something that they truly want to do. And it continues at verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to much wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. 
But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how would he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Paul outlined here the basic qualifications for elders in the Lord's church. Then he immediately follows this up with the qualifications for deacons. So let's let's look at this a little bit closer. Starting at verse 8, the Bible reads, Deacons likewise must be men of integrity, not double-tongued, or addicted to much wine or fun of sordid gain. Insofar as character, deacons are to resemble the elders. Thus, we have the term likewise. Then we see the term must. The term must means that there is no question at all about the need to be strict in requiring these qualifications for the one who will serve as a deacon. Men of dignity or grave. This signifies a man who is respected, a man who is not flippant or coarse. He's not double-tongued. This refers to one who is a hypocrite, one who is insincere, talking behind other people's backs. Not given too much wine, that is sober, as in clear thinking as well. Not a drunkard. Now, follow, stay with me on this next statement here. Moderation in the use of wine, is what they're talking about, as it was consumed in that day. Now, how was wine consumed in that day? Well, they had the wine, they mixed it with water. The, it, it was a uh, low alcohol content. But still, what they found at that time, there were people who were not considered modern drinkers, moderate drinkers. They were heavy drinkers and, and to the point where it was producing drunkenness, which is to say these men were not moderate social drinkers. They drank wine as their primary drink and had to be careful not to let it lead to drunkenness. I remember somebody telling me something a long time ago. He said the surest way not to get drunk is not to drink. <laughs> okay? And that's a, that's a true statement. Uh, fun, not fun of sordid gain. In the original context, this expression meant a person who earned a living in a, um, a sordid or unclean way. For instance, we're talking about someone who, um, who had uh, questionable business practices, such as gambling or prostitution, stealing or cheating, any way which is shameful as a Christian. Also, people who like this type of living, because sometimes what happens is, we're in the process of saying nothing we actually condone, so we have to be careful with that as well. Verse 9, but, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The mystery of the faith is the gospel. The way people were to be saved was a mystery that no one knew about until Christ Jesus came and it was revealed. If you go over to Romans chapter 16, Romans chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. 
Romans 16, verses 25 and 26. The Bible reads, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Deacons, deacons were men who were able to believe, but not only that, they were able to practice their faith with a clear conscience. They were not undignified, they were not hypocritical, drunkards, impure or greedy. They weren't simply pretending to be faithful, they were indeed faithful, and it's no different today. Some believe the mystery, but do not act like they do. Deacons believe, and their actions demonstrate this as well. Verse 10. These men must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. So then, deacons are to have proven that they are qualified before they are appointed. The church would choose a man that they see doing the work. They would choose a man that they see living a Christian life. And they would notice that this man was doing this long before somebody approached them and asked them, would you be, would you consider serving as a deacon? I want to take you over to 1 Timothy 5 and verse 22. 1 Timothy 5. Verse 22. And we see the reason for this. First Timothy 5, verse 22, the Bible reads, Do not be hasty in the land on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. So what we have here in First Timothy 5, at verse 22, what we have is a warning. We have a warning against being too quick in, yes, appointing elders, too quick in appointing deacons, lest in their failure the evangelist, that is the preacher, or the elders bear the burden of the blame. In saying also, Paul is saying that this period of testing is required, again, not just for deacons, but elders as well. Men who are not ready, or rather men who are not already providing leadership, men who are not already providing service, men who are not already living holy lives should not be appointed as elders or deacons. And you know, it's a common practice, and I saw it when I was preaching out in Nikiski, it was a common practice and a common error to, um, to, to avoid this. Well, let me put it just again. It was a common practice and an error to avoid this in such a way that um, we go about the business of encouraging someone to start serving in order for them to become an elder or a deacon. Uh, I, I remember situations where a gentleman 
he did, he was very good at bringing focuses. He was very good at leading prayer, but we, we noticed something with him. He only showed up for worship service when he was scheduled to do the focus. So if he was scheduled to do the focus once a month, you saw him once a month. If if it happened to be every two months, you see him every two months. And so it got to the point where finally I just said, you know, we need to stop having this guy serve because he is not a, a, he's not worshiping like he should. And and even got to the point where he would show up out of the clear blue sky and just say, I need you to move this guy and let me do the focus today because and he'll tell us blatantly, I'm not planning to be here next week. We can't do that. We can't do that. Verse 11. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Now, this verse, as strange as it seems, but you think about it, it's not strange. This verse has been used by a lot of people on more than one occasion to suggest that women should also be appointed to be deacons or deaconess, if you will, in the church. And they have an argument for this, right? And now the argument for this is as follows. Number one, the term women can mean wives. Okay, that's true. As in wives of deacons or women as in deaconess, or servants of the church. Now, when we look at Romans uh, 16, Romans 16 and verse 1, we see Paul referencing Phoebe here. Uh, In Romans 16 and verse 1, the Bible says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea. Now here Paul commends Phoebe, yes, he commends her as a servant or as that Greek word uh, diakonos of the church. Now there are some early writings that suggest that women served in this capacity, yes, but these were non-inspired writers long before the apostolic age. And and remember what we have, the books that we have in the in the Bible here, those individuals that actually had a relationship with God and Christ Jesus, it just wasn't somebody that thought about this would be nice to write about something at this time. Now, what about the arguments that are against this? We got the argument for it. Let's about the argument against it. Number one, Paul does not use the term deaconess here in, in here in Romans sixteen at verse six. He does not use the term, but just a word, if you will, that means wives or can be interpreted as women. The context of the passage is a, it's a list of qualifications for men as deacons. And his reference to wives uh, would seem natural as, uh, you might say, instructions to the wives of not only elders, but also the wives of deacons as well. The wives would be involved in this work with their husbands so that their character, their conduct, had to be above reproach as well. Paul lists elders and deacons and then women and wives of these men. Number three, the only biblical examples that we have of deacons doing their work shows that they are men, and those are the ones who are actually doing the work. 
I want to take you back again to just a reminder, Acts 6, verses 1 through 16. Acts 6, verses 1 through 16. I'm sorry, Acts 6, verses 1 through 6, my mistake. The Bible reads... Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmias, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Here we have two opportunities by two different apostles, if you will, to establish women in the role of serving as deaconess, if you will. But in each case, both Peter and Paul specify men for this position, not women. What we do see, however, what we do see, however, is this. In the New Testament, there are women serving, waitering, if you will, in a variety of ways. So just quickly look at some of those women. Luke 8, verse 3, we see women supporting Jesus' ministry. Acts 1, women praying in the upper room. Acts 9, Dorcas making clothing for the poor. Acts 12, Mary, the mother of Mark, gathering her, offering rather her home as a meeting place for the apostles. We see Lydia offering her house to Paul at Acts 16. We see Priscilla offering her house to Paul and and along with her husband having a Bible study with the apostles in Acts 18. And we see Phoebe delivering a letter uh, to Paul where the Greek word diakonos used in its messenger sense. And that's what we read about there in Acts, in uh, Romans 16. However, however, they are not among those chosen by the church and set before the leadership in order to be appointed as deacons. On the other hand, on the other hand, there are many men who serve in a variety of ways at at different times also. And we see that happening here where there are a lot of men serving here, but not all of them are serving as deacons. Um, and, And it's nothing wrong with that. The point is this. All Christians, men and women, serve. They all waiter, if you will. They all take messages, if you will. They all work on behalf of the body. However, 
only some of the men who are qualified are chosen by the church and appointed by the elders to be responsible for specific and certain tasks. In the verse we are considering, again, that's verse 11. So let, let's go back and read that again just to make sure we got it. Verse 11, 1 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 11. Let's just read it again so we got it. Their wives, the Bible reads, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So in the verse we are considering here, at verse 11, I believe Paul refers to the wives of deacons, and he says that as wives of deacons, they must also be dignified, same as deacons. They must not be malicious gossips, same as deacons. And you know what we think about gossip? It is never okay to be a gossip. But a deacon's wife must especially have a handle on this problem. Why? Because since she, through her husband, is involved with many areas of the work of the congregation and the people of the church, it is of utmost importance. She must be temperate, sober, sober-minded, which means not easily carried away by emotions, arguments, or strife. She must be faithful as a general, she must be faithful as a general rule in the faith, as a general rule in service, and in marriage, friendship, etc. Verse 13, uh, verse 12. I got ahead of myself a little bit. That should be verse 12 on that slide. Deacons must be deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. So we return to the issue of the the married state of this person. Notice he specifies men here, not women. There have been a, a variety of ways when people look at this text as well. There have been a variety of ways to interpret this passage. Uh, now, it may mean that the man has only ever had one wife in his life. It may mean a man who may have had more than one wife and he's widowed or divorced, practiced polygamy, but he now has only one wife the one he is currently married to. And he is faithful to her. He's not a runaround. There are many kinds of arguments to support positions in between these two extremes. For instance, widowers are okay, divorcees are not. Or the uh, widowers and divorcees are okay, polygamists are not. And the list can go on and on. But you know, when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, this is what it is right here. The one position... The one position that is absolutely sure, the one position that is absolutely biblical that no one will dispute is the man who has been married to the same woman all of his life. He definitely does qualify. In choosing this man, the elders are sure of the biblical soundness of this office and of their office. Paul finishes the qualifications of the deacons by stating that Part, part of the testing they must pass 
is the fact that they manage their homes and they manage their families well. If a man cannot properly care for his house, if a man cannot properly care for his personal affairs, can he better care for the meeting place and the affairs of the family of God? That's the question. One other side note on this one right here, and Tony can probably attest to this. There was a brother down in Nikiski, uh, Brother Townsley. If you walked in there asking him to do this, to do that, and he started answering these questions, he didn't get into a debate about whose fault it was, whose fault it was, and he just said, I'm not doing it. <laughs> he kept it real simple. He kept it real simple. So, in the final verse, Paul talks about the deacon's reward and the deacon's standing. I will discuss this as well as the idea of land on of hands in the next lesson. But in verse 13, the Bible says, oops, I didn't put it on here. But verse 13, the Bible says, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. For now, let's summarize, if you will, several key ideas as far as deacons are concerned. Number one, deacons are servants chosen by their congregation according to specific qualifications that they have and appointed by the elders to carry out specific tasks. Although women served in specific ways and still do, there are no teaching or clear example or even a necessary inference in the New Testament to suggest that they were appointed by elders to serve in the role of deacon or deaconess as men do serve. And remember when we're studying the Bible, we've studied this before, when studying the Bible, and we're looking at specific situations that's common that, that we see in front of us. We look in the word of God. We look for a command from God. We find that great. We can also look for an example from God. And then we look for the necessary inference. The necessary inference. The New Testament does not Keep this in mind. The New Testament does not prohibit men or women who have been married before from being members of the church. It just doesn't. It doesn't prevent them from participating in worship service. It just doesn't. It doesn't prevent, prevent them from serving the body as long as they're not serving as elders and deacons. But in order to be selected... As an elder, in order to be selected as a deacon, the man must be the husband of only one wife. That is the best way to to keep things above board because we talked about this before in a lesson that Tony was doing, and I mentioned it before in a devotional. The best way to destroy the church is from within, not from without. And if we start doing things that cause 
problems within the church and give people a reason to to rebel, if you will, then we are in essence playing a role in the destruction of the congregation from within ourselves. Now, what I just said is not condemning at all to others. It is not it is not showing a partiality or nothing like that. It merely creates a standard that will protect elders, that will protect deacons from criticism, protect them from division. Again, should there be a question over a person's previous marriage? We should not impose this view on other congregations, but accept the decision on this matter for our own congregation by our own elders. So, thanks be to God, thanks be to God, that the requirement for membership in the Lord's church are a sincere, repentant heart, a belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and a willingness to obey him in baptism. These are requirements that rule no one out from salvation. So next week, we will be looking at the laying on of hands. So we want to thank everyone for joining us tonight, those in here in person as well as online. Those who are online, if you want to contact us, the information is on the slide there. Um, whether you're online or here in person tonight, uh, we will be having a devotional problem in about 10 minutes. So uh, I hope you've made plans to stay for the devotional because that is another opportunity for us to be renewed, regenerated, and revigorated as we go about our business of being children of God. Thank you all for joining me tonight.